lock and load. This is GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. The leader in the fight to reclaim and expand our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Here's your host, Executive Director of GeorgiaCarry.org, Jerry Henry. Welcome to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. Once again, we're uh, we're going to be recording today on Friday, uh, the day before uh, our broadcast, and the reason is once again the weather because today it's about 59 degrees. In the morning, it's expected down here in Atlanta to be about 28 degrees, and it is raining like crazy outside. And with all this water, there's a good chance there's going to be a lot of ice tomorrow. And I don't want to I don't want to slide downtown. And uh, I prefer to stay in where it's warm on days like that, if at all possible. So we're going to record it today, play it tomorrow, and uh, hope that we cover just about everything we'd like to cover. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about uh, on the way down here, I'm just kind of wondering if we're ever going to learn anything more about the Las Vegas shooter. You know, why Why did that story dry up so fast? All of a sudden, that was great big news, and it was a, a terrible incident. But all of a sudden, we know nothing else about the guy. We don't know what happened. We don't know how it happened. Uh, the only thing that, that really came out of that was the gun prohibitionists dumped on bump stocks right quick and started trying to figure out how they could ban them. Other than that, silence. And uh, just trying to figure out why that is. It, it, something doesn't add up. There's, there seems to be more to that story than, than we're being told. And I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but this just does not add up. Um, as you remember, probably when we left last week, we were getting ready to uh, play Georgia play Alabama for the national championship on the following Monday night. And we predicted a close game, which we were correct about. Uh, however, I have to admit, eat a little bit of crow, the person, the game, the team that I wanted to win did not come out on tight, top, but they did a very good uh, showing. you got to remember that uh, Alabama's been in the national championship game here several years in a row almost. And this is Georgia's first time back after 38 years, I believe it was, 37 years. And also coming from a a mediocre record last year. So they are on their way up, and I think we're going to see some more games similar to what we saw this year. And I hope that they're, uh, again, between two SEC powerhouses. I think that uh, that speaks well for our part of the country. Uh if the, uh, as a side note, if the referees had uh, refereed as good a game as the two teams played, uh, it would have had a little bit better game. Not sure that the outcome would have been any different, but it would have been, uh, you wouldn't have been able to say a whole lot about, well, if they'd have made that call or if they hadn't made that call, et cetera. So uh, I, as I said to everybody before the game started, I want everybody to be at full strength. I didn't want any excuses for either team to lose. Or, or the other team win. It's just, it's much better if you can line up, play hard nosed football, and the winner come out on top. And we have to agree that that's basically what happened. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the legislative issues uh, for this coming year. As you know, the the uh, legislative session started on uh, the eighth this year, this month, last week, earlier this week. And, of course, all they've done this this week is just kind of try to get things up. They're building or they're uh, assigning committee 
members, et cetera, and, and uh, uh, committee chairmanships. They're getting ready to talk about the budget. There's not going to be a whole lot happening down there for another couple of weeks at least. Then after that, things will probably get pretty hot and heavy because it is a uh, it is an election year, and the uh, as long as the session is in session, the General Assembly is in session, the uh, sitting legislators cannot go out and raise any money. So they have to get this session over with pretty quick so they can go out and raise money because their can their uh, opponents are out raising money and uh, they don't want to get any further behind. So. Uh, expect things to happen, start happening pretty quick after uh, about the 1st of February or so. A uh, couple of things that we want to talk about uh, this year at the uh, the General Assembly. Now, I will tell you that uh, being down there yesterday, we were told that the, uh, the Speaker of the House, David Ralston, would prefer to take a break from uh, gun laws this year. We wouldn't prefer to take a break. We prefer to keep going while we're while well, we've got a hot hand and while we're we're continuing to move forward. So uh, we're going to, we may have to face a few tougher decisions than we would have in the years past because we may have a little bit more opposition on some things. But we have several things. It's not, they're not great big bills per se in themselves. It's kind of like uh, HP 292 was last year. It's a, it'll cure up a lot of things. It'll clean up a lot of things. It'll give us some things that we need to get taken care of. But as you all know, other than uh, expanding some of the places we've already got, there's not a lot of big issues. The biggest issues left, uh, in my opinion, are private property for churches and uh, universities, uh, expanding campus carry into more areas on the campus, uh, uh, constitutional carry, which I don't expect to go anywhere this year, but other groups will be screaming and hollering about it, and... uh, more uh, access to government buildings. So those are the really big things, in my opinion, but there are a lot of things that go along that we've gotten past in the in the uh, previous sessions that didn't turn out exactly the way that we wanted to when we had to go to court over some things. There were some issues that uh, were overlooked, and uh, we're going to try to get another cleanup bill similar to HB 280, uh, 292 last year and try to get those things done. And under this that bill, one of the things that we will try to, to uh, or these are the things that we will try to include in that bill. Under uh, 1611-129, uh, a person can have his Georgia weapons license revoked if he is not eligible to maintain it. Now, that apparently refers back to the eligibility requirements in the same code section uh, that says, uh, there is one exception that says, that uh, 1611-129B2C makes a person ineligible if he has a felony proceeding pending against him. If you put those two things together, you can see that a person who gets indicted for a felony can have his license revoked. doesn't matter that he's been convicted and that he is still presumed innocent until he is uh, convicted, but he can have his uh, property taken away from him just under those uh, under that statute. So we, uh, we're we going to try to get that amended to say that it is not sufficient to trigger a revocation, that you have to be tried and convicted in order to to be ineligible for a Georgia weapon license. Mm-hmm. Another thing we're going to try to do is we've talked about uh, 
before on this station with uh, with some of the legislators that we had on here and some of the guests we've had is the aggravated assault statute. The uh, The problem with that is that uh, there are two possibilities in one of the statutes that it refers to. Uh, that would be the statute that uh, it refers to as 16-5-20. Uh, attempting to commit a violent injury or putting another in reasonable apprehension of immediately receiving a violent injury is cause for being charged with a uh, aggravated assault. Number one's common definition of that, and we really don't have a problem with that. However, number two was added a few years back, and it's it's a terrible addition. Uh, doing something that scares somebody should not constitute an assault. Uh, we'll say it, that if you go to uh, if you go to threaten somebody and tell them if they don't do something, then uh, you will take X action. That shouldn't even be assault. Uh, and the reason it matters to us is because an assault with a firearm is aggravated assault. It's a 20-year felony. If you sweep somebody at the range when you're out at the range uh, and they think they might be injured who and who wouldn't, then that's aggravated assault. If you openly carry a firearm and someone gets scared, that's aggravated assault. And you might think that people don't get prosecuted for this, but you would be wrong. And we need to put a stop to it, and we, we're going to try to do so this year. Uh, there is a statute, 1611-131, which is a, a, felony, a felon in possession of uh, a firearm. has an exception for people that get pardoned, but not for people that get their firearms rights restored. If you can get convicted in another state, and that state restores your right to possess a firearm, then why shouldn't Georgia reciprocate and also allow you to uh, possess a firearm. You still may not be able to get a GWL, but that shouldn't keep you from having a firearm in your house to defend yourself. Uh, there's uh, also, we would like to change the definition of of uh, weapons that people are prohibited from owning to include black powder rifles. That's a national, that's a federal law that a prohibited person can own a black powder rifle, which means they can hunt or they can use it for defense if necessary. Uh, it's not the the best defense, but it's better than no defense. And we would like to see that definition changed. Uh, coming up to break, we'll be back talking about uh, a few of those things and a few other things that we're going to try to get included on the bill. Uh, I want to remind you in the meantime, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can join. You can uh, read anything we've done. The current bills will be posted on there before too much longer. Uh, and uh, you can follow us at Georgia Carey. I'm at Got Your Back 64. Uh, you can download the commercial free podcast there at our website. You can also download the commercial free podcast at Newstalk1160.com. And we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. Uh, here we are talking once again about what we're going to try to get accomplished this year at the, uh, at the Gold Dome down here in Georgia. See if we can't make our laws a little bit better than what they are and uh, 
It's an awful lot of little things, but they add up to, to quite a few things if we can get them all done. Uh, the next thing we're looking at is, um, and many of you may be uh, familiar with this, 1611-129, uh, dealing with the uh, misdemeanor uh, farms and misdemeanor marijuana exceptions. Uh, if you notice, there, the statute itself says that if you've been convicted of, of either of those, that you have to wait five years before you can apply for a license. Then right underneath that, it says that if you're convicted again, uh, then uh, it uh, it gets a little bit murky on what that actually means. Uh, basically, we interpret it to mean that if you get convicted again, then your time for the five-year application uh, exemption is from the day you are uh, the day you complete your adjudication on the last conviction. That's the way most people read it. However, uh, there are some. Uh, probate judges that think if you have a misdemeanor marijuana conviction and a speeding ticket that you can never get a GWL because after all a speeding ticket in Georgia is a uh, misdemeanor so we're pretty sure that's not what it means and what we'd like to do is just clean it up say what it means and uh, and move on Uh, so many times when we when we change these laws that's what happens and it's uh uh, sometimes it's a nightmare to try to figure out what we're supposed to do for not only us, but the lawyers that are trying to defend you. So we're going to work on that, get that cleaned up a little bit. Uh, another thing that we continually see is people calling us saying, hey, this uh, this policeman took my firearm in a certain city and or a certain county, and I've been trying three months and can't get it back. Uh, there's not really a statute that says that that you know, they have a certain time to throw it back at you or to give it back to you. But uh, we brought this up several years ago, and uh, Representative Wendell Willard was going to fix it with a generalized property seizure bill, but he didn't. So we need a, a specified private right of action to recover wrongfully seized or wrongfully retained firearms uh, with attorney's fees in, uh, included because it, it normally costs you more to go get an attorney to try to recover your gun than the gun's worth. So if we get it to where the, the it's reasonable price for you to go do it, which means that the uh, courts would have to pay or the, the seizing agency would have to pay your attorney fees, then we could do it and we could get back and, and get to the way it should be where if somebody takes your gun, you should be able to get it back if it was not used in a crime and you're not arrested for that particular crime. Uh, we want to um, we want to try to allow carry on private campuses. I'm not sure that's going to go through this this year, but we're going to ask for it. We're going to try to push for it. Once again, as as you know, our policy on private property is that that it should be treated as such. Uh, there should be no law violated when you step across a property line if it's not against the law on the other side of the property line. And so we would like to see it to where each one of the private schools, the private colleges, et cetera, are treated like private property. And it's up to them to supply their security and, and to tell you that you can't be on there and not call the police on private property and have you arrested, which is what they can do right now. Uh, we also, as you know, uh, probably know, you've heard, in uh, Atlanta, some six or eight months ago, they claimed to have 10,000 farms down there that they have not sold. The law says that they have to sell the the farms that are seized. Once they determine that they can't find the rightful owner, they are supposed to sell those farms back 
to a uh, federal firearm licensed dealer. That's just what they do with their own guns. People are kind of upset, and there's going to be a, a law, or there's already been a bill, I believe, uh, introduced that says that uh, or they want to repeal that portion that, that uh, requires the cities or the counties to uh, sell those firearms back. You know, those those the number of guns that, that Atlanta has has got to be worth a million, million and a half dollars to them in tax money, but they will not sell them. And we're trying to get, uh, we're going to try to get a, uh, a provision in the statute to penalize them if they don't do so. Right now, there's no penalty. There's no way you can do anything about it. You can go sue them in court and hope that you win, and, and maybe they can do something about it. But as far as them, uh, as a, any policy for breaking the law or any uh, uh, penalties for breaking the law, that was not included in the law. Now, most of you know that they, uh, even though people claim we don't want these guns put back on the street, well, obviously they're not being put back on the street. They're bought by people with a federal firearms license under today's law. We would like to get that to where anybody could go down there that has a Georgia weapons license and bid on those firearms because, after all, a Georgia weapons license is a background check, and these guns are not going back on the streets. These guns will be sold to law-abiding citizens just like any other firearm in any gun dealer's shop. So we would like to see the penalty put in. We would like to see uh, the average person with a GWL be able to go purchase them from the police department when they have their auction, and we want to force the police departments and whatever law enforcement it might be to sell the firearms. That's what the law says. That's what they should do. But Atlanta, you know Atlanta, they do their best to skirt the law any way they can possibly. And there's one other thing that we really want to do uh, this year. There's a statute 38-2-301, which I have spoken about before. Uh, it's closing places where farms and ammunition are sold where dislike, disorder likely to occur. This uh, we thought we got taken care of in uh, HB60 in 2014 when we did away with the governor's power to prohibit the sale of firearms and ammunition during the declared emergency. Uh, he can no longer do that. However, under this statute, it says whenever the force of the organized militia is or has been called out for the performance of any duty uh, under the Emergency Powers Act, it shall be lawful for the commanding officer of the force if in his judgment the maintenance of law and order in the area in which the force has been ordered will be promoted thereby to close places where arms and ammunition are sold and all places where disorder is likely to occur. Now, I don't know how this man has the, uh, the natural ability to tell you where disorder is likely to occur other than to just say every place over there. Uh, that, that is a, a little bit psychic and... When you stop and think about this, the uh, the person in charge of the uh, of the militia is appointed by the governor. So we really didn't get rid of any of the governor's powers because he can still do the same thing by ordering the uh, the man in charge of the militia to do just that. And we all know, and and everybody knows that the time you need a firearm most is during a national emergency. 
Obviously, the police are not going to be there. Nobody's going to be there to help you. And if you can't defend yourself, then you're at the mercy of whoever comes into that area at that time. And uh, we we don't like being left unarmed. We uh, we see too much of uh, things happening where people are unarmed, and we see too many good things happening where people aren't unarmed. So we want to make sure that, that no matter where you go in the state of Georgia under any conditions, you have the right to be armed. And uh, that's, that's well, by taking care of this, taking uh, getting this repealed, that will help that as well. That is uh, about the sum total of what we're probably going to be able to, uh, to get this year. Uh, and as I say, there's an awful lot of things in there that are good. There's, there's nothing in one, in any one particular uh, portion that I've discussed there that, that is really, you know, something that's, that's terrifically, uh, important to us. But when you add all those things together, it becomes important to us right quick like. So, uh, we will move on now into a few of the good things. Uh, we, uh, one of the good things, uh, I'll, uh, this was my second one, but I'm going to mention it now because of the fact of where it happened. If you remember not too many years ago, Chicago, as a matter of fact, last year, Chicago was a tough place to be. Uh, everything, all the gun control, nobody, very few people, there were no permits, nobody could defend themselves. And there's a story that comes out of Chicago where an armed citizen killed a uh, robbery suspect, shot him dead. Uh, and he was the reason that he was able to do that was because the uh, of the change in the law where uh, McDonald versus Chicago, where they had to allow uh, people to have permits and to carry firearms. And this is one exception. This is the first time you've seen this happen, this story, in uh, probably forever, or at least before uh, they started their heavy gun control in Chicago. We're coming up to a break. I uh, want to remind you one time, one more time, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can uh, check us out and see what we've done. You can download the commercial-free podcast at our website. You can also download the commercial-free podcast here at Newstalk1160.com, and we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org uh, Radio Hour. We're going to do a little bit of talking about some good. Uh, I've got some bad, and uh, I don't think i got a whole lot of ugly this week. But uh, one of the good things that, uh, that happened just this week, uh, the Second Amendment Foundation uh filed a um a writ of certeria to uh the Supreme Court asking them to review a decision on the ninth uh the US Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals which upheld Alameda County's zoning policies against gun stores. Uh the uh, Second Amendment Foundation says, you know, if we don't have a right to acquire guns, how can you bear them? And so therefore they're uh, taking the approach that that is against the Second Amendment. Uh, as you know, uh, the Second Amendment Foundation has been very active in, in some of the lawsuits that have been brought that have restored our rights lately, uh, namely uh, Heller versus D.C. and McDonald versus uh, Chicago. Uh, they are always looking 
or any way to try to, to help restore our rights and maintain our rights. And we, they feel, and, and I feel the same way. I mean, when you allow a state or a county to say, well, you can't sell guns in this state or this county, well, how can you, how can you uh, exercise your Second Amendment rights uh, if you can't purchase a firearm? The city of Chicago tried to do the same thing, basically, by not allowing gun ranges. They required, when they started their permitting program, they required you go to a train uh, to a range and have training, but yet they would not allow any uh, ranges within the city. So it was impossible for you to get a license. And these anti-gunners, these gun prohibitionists, they're always doing things such as that to try to sneak in the back door or to try to work around the law to where you cannot... Uh, exercise your rights. Now, they will give you every other right. They'll give every prisoner every right that ever happened when he's uh, convicted of something. But your Second Amendment rights, which are pretty well enumerated in the Constitution and they're God-given, they will do whatever they can do to stop you from exercising those rights. And uh, one of the things that that I didn't say a while ago when we were talking about the legislative update is there are going to be a lot of bills and there already are some bills that are passed, or that are, excuse me, that are uh, introduced in the Georgia General Assembly to do just that, to take away your rights. Some of them you've heard of, some you haven't heard of, and some of them are sneaky, and some of them are just flat out, uh, like the Mary Margaret Oliver's, uh, we'll come get your guns routine. Uh, we'll be reporting on those later on. But uh, uh, as uh, Second Amendment Foundation uh Founder and Executive Vice President Alan Godlib, Godlib said, you shouldn't be able to zone the Second Amendment out of the Bill of Rights. And that's what not only Alameda County did, but what the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals did in their ruling. So uh, we, we, we've got to be able to stand up. And fortunately, the Second Amendment Foundation is one of those people, one of those organizations that do that. And if you're not a member of the Second Amendment foundation i would uh i would ask that you consider it uh, i'm a life member myself i'm a life member of georgia Curie. i'm a uh, patron member of the nra and i support these gun rights groups uh, and the reason i do is because they they have the power to fight and are willing to fight and are not just in it for the money and not raising cane about uh, other things so uh we we just uh we we're we know that the way to get our gun rights back is the way that we lost them, and that's incrementally, and that's what we do. That's what the NRA does. That's what the Second Amendment Foundation does. Uh, none of us are all-or-nothing groups, and the all-or-nothing groups are what gets nothing most of the time. Uh, another story that was a good one here it comes from uh, our good buddy A.W.R. Hawkins. The title is Democrats Cry Foul as Trump Loosens Farm Export Restrictions. Uh, as you know, um, President Trump is, uh, is prepared to loosen restrictions on firearm exports. Um, it was reportedly planning to ease those restrictions. Now it appears they will be loosened by transferring the licensing gun exports from the State Department to the Commerce Department. Uh, the shift will apply only to non-military firearms and ammunition that are already commercially available. Uh, the export of military weapons will continue to be overseen by the State Department. Uh, despite this, you know, the, the libs up there in Washington, D.C. are suggesting that it will s- contribute to a spread of military weapons. Uh, 
Matter of fact, uh, they said, as you're aware, combat firearms and ammunition are uniquely lethal. Now, I don't know how uh, 308's any more uniquely lethal than a 30-06, but apparently it is. I guess I just don't know as much as I thought I did. Uh, they are easily spread and easily modified and are the primary means of injury, death, and destruction in civil and military conflicts throughout the world. Well, you would expect that in the military conflicts at least. Uh, you would hope that they would be the main, uh, the primary means of injury, death, and destruction in a military conflict. Uh, you certainly wouldn't think it would be a pocket knife, but... Uh, at any rate, uh, one of the good things about this is that uh, it, making the export of firearms easier, uh, the move will save small gunsmiths over $2,000 annually by eliminating the requirement that they register the, with the State Department uh, Directorate of Defense trade controls each year. So uh, there was a uh, another article came in from, uh, uh, I think I read this on NRA, uh, but a, a reporter from uh, The Morning Call, uh, is, who is not always on the right side of the gun debate, but uh, uh, recently wrote an article that stated some very good facts for uh, for our side, for the gun owner side, for law-abiding citizens. The real, he says, the reality is this. People who want a gun have many ways to get one. They can borrow one from a relative or a friend. They can steal one. They can buy one illegally on the street. Uh, and uh, it says that, that, and this is the thing that we have said on numerous occasions. He says, and I'm quoting him, too many people look at laws as a way to stop crime. Laws instead should be viewed as a way to punish those who commit crimes. Uh, the reality is uh, that if you pass a law that says somebody can't do something, the only people that you're, you're affecting are the law-abiding citizens. The criminals will do, as we've said in the past, and will continue to say, they will do anything they want to, uh, and it's not a big deal. One of the examples that they gave uh, in this article is uh, Richmond, Virginia, in the late or in the mid 1990s, Virginia's capital city had one of the highest murder rates for a city its size. Instead of politicians wringing their hands and saying homicide's a problem, which required more gun control, in 1997 the city instituted. Project Exile, a program marked by aggressive prosecution of armed criminals. The result, the number of homicides dropped by 45% and armed robberies dropped by 30% in just one year. I have said that for ages. We have the laws on the book. Let's enforce them. In fact, I said that on CNN in uh, January 2012 when uh, Barack Obama came out with his what he was going to do to stop uh, these mass shootings, which was right after uh, Sandy Hook. They asked me what I thought. I told them I thought it was a bunch of mush, that it wasn't going to do anything. And they said, what will you do? What would you do? And I said, I would take out the, I would remove the revolving door at the jails and prisons, and I would lock people up for the crime that they've committed. We have more than enough gun laws to handle every situation that ever arises with any crime committed. So let's enforce the laws. But no, we don't do that. We allow people to go in. Most of the people who finally commit murder have been arrested numerous times over firearms violations and allowed to get back out on the street before, uh, before their, uh, long before their term was ever over with. Uh, 
And we've seen studies that show that that in so many of these uh, uh, cities, these violent cities, Baltimore being one of them, that uh, many of the people who were arrested for firearms violations, when they took them to court, they did not charge them with the firearms uh, uh, violations. They charged them with the other crime that was committed. And they say the reason is that is, well, they get better uh, conviction rates. But yet you get the same guys turn around a few weeks later, a few months later, or a year or two later, back on the street, getting another firearm and have at it. And it's it's just the same people doing the same thing nearly all the time. Uh, we believe that enforcing established laws is a better way to prevent tragedies uh, like any of the, the tragedies. You enforce the law, get people off the... Uh, and don't make and another thing. In my opinion, is we don't make heroes out of these people. We don't put them on twenty four seven news for the next uh, two or three weeks or whatever, uh, and let everybody see them parade up and down, whether they're dead or not. We don't. It doesn't matter. They don't need to be made heroes or martyrs because of what they did illegally. Uh, and there was a good article also by uh, David Capel and Joseph Greenlee. It was in the Hill. Uh, it's a rather long article, but. Uh, they make a good case for uh, the fact that Congress has the power and should use the constitutional power, uh, constitutional power to force the states to honor gun rights. Uh, and uh, they have not done that. Uh, we shouldn't have to have to. We shouldn't have to pass national reciprocity in order for us to exercise these rights. But that's what we're having to do. I want to take a little break here one more time, uh, pay a little bills, let the commercials go. I want to remind you, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can see everything we've ever done. You can join. You can renew. The membership fee is $20 a year. You can sign up for numerous years. You can become a life member for $500. Uh, You can... uh, you can see anything that we've ever done. All the paperwork is on our website. You can download the commercial-free podcast of this program there. You can follow us at Georgia Carey. I'm at Gutcherback64 on Twitter. You can download the commercial-free podcast from Newstalk1160.com, and we will be right back. And now, back to georgiacarry.org radio with georgiacarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to georgiacarry.org radio hour. Our final segment here on this beautiful, uh, well, I wouldn't say beautiful, but uh, from downtown Atlanta, uh, January the 13th, uh, and it's uh, it's a cold, nasty day outside. It's going to get worse before it's over with. The uh, the article I was talking about before we took the break, uh, they refer to the uh, 14th Amendment as it forbids states to violate civil rights. Section 5 of the amendment grants Congress the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. And it was enacted during the re- uh, Reconstruction. It was a remedy to uh, ex-Confederate states denying freedom to the uh, the right to arms and other civil rights. So um, we believe that uh, they believe, and I agree with them, that one of the civil rights protected is concealed carry reciprocity, that we should be allowed to carry uh, anywhere we go uh, at any time, and uh, a state should not be able to do what New Jersey does, etc., and 
not have any reciprocity. And if you don't live there, then you can't carry a firearm there. If you go into that state with a firearm, you're taking a chance. Uh, another good news story, Kimber announces manufacturing expansion in Alabama. Uh, this is from Ammoland. Uh, they're, uh, of course, most of you probably know who Kimber is. Uh, they, uh, they make some pretty fine pistols. They make some rifles as well. I think they just got in the rifles a few years ago, but uh, they were once a small manufacturing company based in Yonkers, New York. Well, prior to that, they were out in uh, Oregon as well. And uh, they've grown at a very rapid pace over the last 21 years with locations in New York metro area and Montana. And now they're moving to Troy, Alabama, and they say it will dis- it will double their manufacturing capacity, uh, which uh, I like myself because that's what I carry. I've, I've got a uh, – my Kimber is um, about uh, 20 years old itself. It was one of the uh, first ones that came out up there – or not, not the first, but in the first uh, – year or so that came out up there and it's been a very good farm and very dependable and and i like it the only problem i see with it is i have a bad back and it gets very heavy sometimes when i carry this thing uh but uh, if i need it uh, i feel very comfortable in having to use it uh so uh this should help uh with the delivery of of uh of farms however as it appears now uh, the as it appears now, the the uh, until we get another threat against our gun rights, uh, such as Obama or Clinton uh, offered, uh, we may not need to to have all these firearms. For our, we may not be buying as many firearms. We have the need, obviously, to have them, but may not be buying them. There's another good thing that I really wanted to point out. Julie Golub, who is a uh, a uh, firearms uh, competitor she has written a new gun safety book for kids and it has hit the number one seller on amazon for uh, kids instruction or kids education it is called toys tools guns and rules uh, uh, it took less than 24 hours for this uh, book to reach number one it's a children's book about gun safety and it's uh it's uh she wrote the book with a as a new option for parents to break the ice with kids on the topic of gun safety. And I can assure you I have not seen it, but I can assure you that anyone who is a professional shooter knows what they're talking about and has a good idea probably of how to uh, introduce things such as guns to toys because I'm sure she has done it to her children. So uh, if not, she's done it to her sisters or brothers or, or some of her relatives. I don't know if she has children or not. It's the reason I came back here but i can assure you that that's what i did with my kids uh my grandkids and they all learned it from their old their old granddaddy and uh, they won't forget it and it's uh, it's something that everybody needs to do doesn't matter whether you're a, a gun prohibitionist or not your child you cannot protect your child from seeing a gun or running across anybody that has a gun you might as well instruct them what they need to do if they see one somewhere just laying there, they need to know what to do. Don't touch it. Get away from it. Get an adult and let somebody take care of it that knows what they're doing. And don't pick it up, put your finger on the trigger like most people do when they are not uh, when they're not familiar with, with carrying firearms. The first thing they do is grab the trigger. 
and that can be disaster. Uh, a few of the bad things that happened this week. DeKalb County, good old DeKalb County, they are blaming HB60 from three years ago on a ballooning cost for their security. They have decided that they want to ban guns in all of their buildings. And even uh, they want armed guards at their parks because of people like you carrying a firearm into their building. The law says that, that you cannot carry a firearm or that you can carry a firearm into government buildings unless they have screened security. Now, this law passed in 2016 really didn't change anything because prior to 2016, excuse me, yeah, 2016, prior to 2016, there were no guards at these, uh, at many of these places. There were no armed guards. There was a sign that said no firearms, and that's what protected those people. Now, all of a sudden, they can't put the signs up anymore, and so they're not protected. We weren't the ones that were going to do damage to them anyway. We were not the ones that, that they needed to keep out of there. The people that they needed to keep out of there were going to come in there regardless. But yet they're blaming now the cost. They are getting ready to spend $1.4 million of citizens of DeKalb County's tax to secure buildings that do not need to be secured. Now, if that's the kind of government that you want, have at it. But this is... Uh, this is ridiculous. It is things that people predicted would happen that the, the cost would balloon. But the only reason the cost ballooned is because they do not trust their law-abiding citizens. They put you in the same category with all the criminals. And so, therefore, we've got to keep you out as well. It's uh, Commissioner Jeff Raiders, one of them that, who was, uh, was very much uh, in favor of that. He says, we want to ban guns from public buildings, and this is the only means that is available to us to do so. So unfortunately now, the citizens of DeKalb County will have to pay these extraordinary costs in order to achieve that goal. Now, he doesn't say who we are. I, I think that's we, the commissioners. I don't think that's we, the citizens. But regardless, now, uh, they're, they're spending that kind of money, but there's no other Atlanta metro counties that have reported any kind of increase like that in security costs. Fulton County, for example, hires unarmed private security guards. If there's a need for an armed security, it is handled by the sworn officers, which, by the way, Mr. Rader, it has to be, you cannot keep me out of your building by having armed, paid armed security guards. You must have an officer who is post-certified at those stations uh, are in charge of those stations in order to keep me out of there. So you might want to read a little bit more into the law before you go ahead and spend all this ridiculous amount of money. Uh, a Gwinnett County spokesman said the county uses sheriff's deputies and police officers to provide armed service at, at uh, public buildings. So, uh, And neither reported an increase in problems since the state law went into effect, and DeKalb County had only one... Uh, problem with a farm in around any of their buildings and that was someone was shot outside of the library uh, a couple of years ago uh, and reedsville the city of reedsville is getting ready to post gun free uh, zone signs at their uh, at their uh, public buildings as well and they're being told it's not going to help uh, 
coming down to the end of the show, I want to remind you that uh, we are Georgia Carry. We're the preeminent gun rights group in the state of Georgia. We continually fight for your rights to carry, to keep and, and bear arms, and uh, more places for us to carry as we go through the, our daily uh, practice. Uh, once again, it's been a pleasure being with you. I want to remind you, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can join. You can renew. You can uh, sign up for, uh, or you can, if you join, you get our email telling you what's going on. You can uh, download the Commercial Free Podcast at our website. You can contact me uh, there. You can follow me at uh, GotYourBack64. You can follow us at Georgia Carry on Twitter, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, hosted by Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Join us each week for information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 only on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.